0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
0: So you don't, don't shine the, the, devil, devil, the devil, devil with your rock and roll, Lord no. knows
3: that country music's gonna save your soul. The oh. devil groove in that rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the air.
1: Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague, and I'm here with my remote studio at Tales of the Cocktail 2023 in beautiful, steamy, baking hot New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, and I'm sitting down with a couple of friends of mine, Carl DeHoffman. And uh, Reagan Dowdy from Press Imports. Price. Price Imports. I always mispronounce that. It's spelled funny. Um, or maybe I'm just funny. Um, and we have been drinking. It's early morning uh, right. on uh, Monday, and we're already pretty deep into it. We're a few drinks in. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about it, too.
4: Yeah. We, but as I said, we weren't really drinking. We were learning. Educational drinking.
1: Drinking is an education. I always say there's no better place to get an education than at a bar. But I'm usually talking about like manners and things like that. <laughs> um, you know, you can learn about the weather, you can learn a lot of stuff at a bar. Yeah. Um, but we've been sitting here um, trying to sort of like unravel the problem that every, everything is about solutions, right? right? So we've just been trying to kind of come to a solution for what's happening to us in the field, which is sad but true. It's just what it is, can't fight what is chartreuse is becoming more and more difficult to purchase. That's happening for the consumer for sure and has been for about two years now. And now I'm starting to feel it at my bar. Yeah. The, just this past week, I was telling you guys off air, just this past week was the first time ever that I ordered a case of the yellow chartreuse and was told I could only order three bottles at a time. That's wild. Now they told me I could order three bottles every day but I can't order it by the case anymore. Mm. So this is getting real, right? And so the solutions uh, have to come about because these are things that we use in a lot of drinks. We have to figure out what, what alternatives exist. And you guys happen to have kind of a,
4: quite a lineup, right? So we've been well, yeah, because Price Imports specializes in. I always like to say, the bibs and bobs that the big companies don't think are worth messing around with. You know, the historical things, the family-run things, the you know unusual uh, tangential things that excite the hell out of certain people and other people are just um you know yet to be introduced to it so that's that's the idea today well and i think that that's what
1: what you know drew me to the bar world um you know pulled me out of the kitchen and put me behind the bar is the notion that i think that there's i'll never learn it all i I can absorb and absorb and absorb and there's still a stream coming of things that I've, i've not seen and have never seen and and that's that's for me. That's great. I always talk about Amaro as two Fs, right? It's either frustrating or fascinating. Mm. And the consumer, I think, is largely frustrated. Yeah, they want to put it in a box. They want to say, you know, this is X Y Z, and that is you know uh, Q R S. They can't stand the fact that no Amaro is similar to another Amaro. Right? I think it's very frustrating for them. For me, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And I think there's a sect of the, uh, the consumer that's fascinated by it as well. But over over. By and large, I think that it's going to be one or the other, and I am in the, in the class that says it's fascinating to me. So I'm excited to see new things, and some of the things we tasted today I've seen before, and some I have not. And I'm excited to see how they can play out in the bar world and make delicious drinks and educate the consumer.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the dearth of the chartreuse is actually going to open up a lot of people's palates to a lot more bitter. Um, profiles I mean just just the fact that you taste Torella next to Shinterba next to Izara, I think shows that uh, there are a myriad of different blenders out there that are doing their own version of not only Alpine liqueurs but we were talking about like Nova Salis where they're like German liqueurs that are focused literally on like digestive qualities um, that come along um, with their liqueurs um but it's it's a fascinating it's a fa- we, we, it almost feels
4: like a, there's like a new horizon now i think the, with, the- with with food and and i think especially with these kinds of spirits you have expressions of cultures from all over the world right. and and um sort of a cultural heritage that comes down from different peoples and different practices and they're they're like little anthropological you know experiences in a bottle mm-hmm and i think when you're talking about frustrated or fascinating you know to me these each bottle opens a new horizon of of cultural and and like each bottle is a little wormhole where you could if you follow it you, you discover things about people and the way they've eaten and gone about things and their agricultural heritage and their it's it's just endless. So it's, Mm. to me, it's endlessly fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you just said a word that I use when I, when I travel, I try and go when I'm traveling the world to the grocery store because just walking up and down the aisles of a local grocery store in a foreign place to me is like an anthropological dig. Mm -hmm. You can really learn a lot about what people are on about if you see how they shop and how they eat. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's obviously true. you know we get to We get to travel the world from our bar stool when we have a lot of things that have been you know brought to us from all over the world, and <clears throat> these things are all over the world. And I think that a lot of the flavor notes that we tasted today are a little bit polarizing to the typical American right we The first round of drinks we we had were um with sort of what we would call the yellows, I guess, um, a lot of anise right mm. anise and licorice, I think, are a hard sell in America um differently than they are in the rest of the world where they will drink them you know, by the ounce on rocks, whereas we use them by the quarter to half ounce and we hide them in cocktails to bring some nuance and some, some flavor. Um, so let's, let's talk about like maybe some of the marks that we tried this morning, um, starting with those yellows. Like what, uh, like one of the fascinating ones, the only one of the yellows that I had had um, was the Stubenten, right? If I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm. Um, so let's talk about that one a little bit.
3: Yeah, uh, Shtabentun is created by Casa de Riste. Um It's made in the Yucatan. Um, really what Casa de Riste does is kind of focus on, again, bringing it back to the culinary world. Uh, a lot of the stuff uh, that they make liqueurs out of are things that are prevalent and the things that they eat every day. Um, so what they, what they do essentially is go out and forage, for lack of a better word, uh, on the peninsula. They find honey, dwarf coconuts, Seville Oranges, um, Soursop, which has become, I, I, I've never tasted something like a soursop. It's yeah. the most unique flavor profile I've come across. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that we tried, ishtabentone is or uh, is a honey and anisette liqueur. They're letting the, f- the, the honey ferment. They're adding uh, green anisette to it. It comes across much like, a yellow chartreuse in the way that there's a honey available or honey in the flavor profile. But this is like honey forward, finishes almost like an absinthe. And uh, it's just really unique, really kind of expressive on like the flavors that Yucatecans have in their day to day life. Um, it's just a fascinating, like yours, one of my favorite.
1: Yeah, this was uh, one of the only ones up there that I had had before. And oddly, I had had it. At mm. the distillery, I was there yeah. um, at Casa Risti because they make a another thing that we were there. So it was sponsored by their their, their Mark Kalani, which is a coconut liqueur, mm. um, and they had that. And I I bought a bottle and brought it back um, because I enjoyed it so much. It's a little bit lower proof, so it doesn't have that 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 big you know alcohol hit, um, but it's got this really unique and somewhat complex flavor. And I think that comes from the fact that you just said. Correct me if I'm wrong. That they ferment the honey. It's fermented honey. Yeah. It's- Right, So it's almost like they're making Miel first, right?
3: Yeah, it's exactly what they're doing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really delicious, and I think that we tasted it on its own, and then we made uh, Joaquin Simo's Naked and Famous Mm. using it um, this morning. Uh, That's why we're all a little buzzed, Um, (laughs) because we made, I don't know what, seven drinks. Um, But but I think it played quite well. We all agreed that it was a bit... um, a little sweet at the standard ratio, mm-hmm. but that's the, tr- the the true measure, right? We have yeah. a standard by which we can make the drink mm-hmm. and then we can go back and pull levers and change it.
3: Right. Yeah. I think that's the fun part about this industry, right? Coming from the kitchen where you get like, you get to kind of make your version of a certain dish that you've probably either grew up with. We're talking about um, you growing up in Panama. So that I'm I'm assuming that seafood is a big part of,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> Panama City Beach, Florida—not yeah. Panama, oh, but, but yes, yeah.
3: but yeah, yeah. Uh, right on the Gulf Coast. So yeah, it, lots of seafood. Yeah, cocktails are very much the same way, where you you get to insert, take out, um, you make the cocktail your own. Um, again, like the exciting part about looking at a lineup of six different liqueurs is the endless possibilities you have because of the expressive qualities from Elixir de Anvers to Casa de Risti. Um, the world is literally your oyster
4: so the, the Stubenten was not uh, terribly far away no. from, from when the way it played in the cocktail. Mm. and it was an easy adjustment, I would imagine, to get it to a balance that the bartender would find happy for its his customer base or her customer base, yeah, their customer base. yeah, and again, like you know, um educating yourself
1: as a bartender is all part of the process and you have to educate your clientele you know i'll say it probably a thousand times throughout this episode we are the ones who taught people what chartreuse was Mm -hmm. we the bartenders so now we, we may have to teach them other things you know we um which is great that means that we're teaching ourselves something new teaching is learning and that means that we're we're expanding our offerings to our you know typically pretty excitable and excited client base
3: yeah, I like. You know? I also like the idea that we've screwed up so much. We know the shortcuts in which to tell people how to actually drink. Like, I think that's nine times out of ten, I, I spend so much time behind the bar making bad drinks to the point where you look at a liqueur like that, you make one drink, you understand, for lack of, like, the, you don't get the total understanding on the first drink, but by the time you make that second drink, you're like, all right, I'm going to dial this in. These people are going to understand the the exceptional qualities behind mm-hmm. what I find fascinating. Um, so, in ter- in turn of showcasing a a product that you love, like you're throwing that extension of yourself into the drink, that love that goes into and that the drink. excitement, you know, yeah. that
1: that like I'm charged up about this, and I want to get you
3: something delicious yeah. and get you charged up about it too. Ah, uh, yeah, I mean that's I I still dream of it. I, Like I'm on the sales side now, but. I swear to you, like, I dream every day about that first drink that you push across the bar and someone goes, I, I love it. Can yeah. I have a second one? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Like that. Can you jot down the specs for me? Please. Kind of yeah. What do you call this? You know yeah. what I mean? And mm-hmm. half the time you're
3: like, I, I don't know. I just thought of this. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I need to serve 13 other people. Like... Yeah, yeah.
1: We're at the beginning stages. We haven't got to the name yet. It's yeah. pretty
4: fun. <laughs> it's pretty fun, too, that a drink that features mezcal, can be modified with a liqueur from across the peninsula made from a different part of Mexico that mm. all expresses kind of a different culture because yeah. you know, Zapotec and you know Mayan cultures are expressed in those areas, I think, through the heritage. So it's it's not exactly the same. I would hate to say oh, but it's certainly a lot closer than than France.
1: Well yeah, if you think about the naked and famous, which is Joaquin's pretty direct riff on the last word, but kind of substituting a lot of the pieces, right? Um, mezcal instead of gin. Um, uh, Maraschino remains the same. Lime remains the same, but then Aperol. In, uh, uh, in, wait, what am I I'm getting off track? No, <laughs> no Maraschino. The Sorry, there's no Maraschino, is, right. right. Uh, Aperol instead of Maraschino. Aperol instead of Maraschino. There we go. Uh, and then um in our case today instead of the yellow or jaune chartreuse we're using um these products that you brought um, but if you look at his it's kind of like trilateral right it's uh, it's italian it's um french and it's mexican yeah well now we've boiled this down to just mexican and um, italian italian but if we could find mm-hmm. a red bitter from mexico then maybe we could build a more terroir driven naked and famous that's yeah. mostly or entirely about Mexican products. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's one way of thinking about it. Like instead of having it be such a trip around the globe, to be a little bit more localized. And then you could start building last words. Yes. Or, or sorry, naked and famouses that are, you know, centered around one
3: nation or one country one or culture. one region or yeah. right? one flavor profile. Uh, I, I think you that's. Know, the old, what grows together goes together. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the. The, the more that I'm kind of just adjacent to cocktails, the more that I see people are actually gearing towards like, keeping like you know, I want to make a margarita fully Mexican or I like I, it, it just seems like it it belongs together. Like Mexican a Mexican red bitter makes so much sense based on the, the food quality or the, the, the taste profile of their food. Mm-hmm. It's I mean you, you go to Italy and they talk about the complexity of Mexican food. Which I took, I honestly, I took for granted living in San Diego, moving to Ohio, um, just having like a good burrito. I didn't understand how hard it is just to make a good burrito. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's almost impossible for a like like for someone that's never been there, never understood the culture, and then you see the like like you see mezcal, you see these beautiful Mezcals from Oaxaca and and around Mexico. It just kind of the red bitter thing belongs. Yeah, we need to a, the mexican someone needs to throw up a flare and show me a red bitter from mexico i'd yeah. love to see it yeah i'd
4: be surprised if there wasn't one
1: there's got to be yeah. um you know that's the other thing i think that we like to think that we live in such a global economy um but when it comes to you know consumables spirits and foods alike some things just don't get out of their region no you know like you know at my shop of course in mori margot we have hundreds of Amari, but there are thousands of oh, Amari. Yeah. And, I, you know, they just don't get distributed to the United States. It, yeah, it's,
3: it's a lot like Mezcal, where, it, like, every village has yeah. their sort of Mezcal. mezcal. Mm-hmm. You go to Italy, and everyone's like, I have I have a Campari, It. I mean, our only point of reference is Campari on this side. You go over there, and they're, like, they're making betters in their basement. Yeah,
1: every, uh, every town has... Yeah. As there, a, lot of, a lot of households are making their own things, right? Yeah. So these things are just never gonna get out and about. So I would I would be willing to bet that there's a red bitter in Mexico that just yeah. isn't here. And if we be. could get a hold of it, I bet we could make a really delicious un- unique version of the naked and famous have to name it in Spanish, I guess. <laughs> um, speaking. But uh, yeah, so I think one of the coolest ones that we tasted today is the next one, which is Dutch, right? And you guys just got a hold of it. So you, it's new to you. Belgium. Sorry, Belgium. Yeah, Belgium, Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. Um. You, you guys just got a hold of it. So it's new to you. And it's brand new to me. I've never even seen this label. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was delicious. Let's talk about... Uh, Elixir Donver. Thanks for jumping in on the pronunciation as I was about to stumble sure across it.
4: I'm sure it's wrong. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah it's a historical um, a family-run distillery in Anvers, obviously, in Belgium. It's... The recipe is closely guarded, so we don't have a lot of technical information other than we macerate herbs and spirit, distill it, and then macerate herbs and spirit and -hmm. and sweeten it, and like every other of the uh, category. So you've got, um, it's a light, I guess, yellowish color for sure. It's, um, I guess, a little green tint to the yellow. Um, Yeah, pretty clear, high clarity, Mm -hmm. um, very aromatic. And it's it's
3: something that it, it takes a left turn in like that yellow category, like I feel like yellow structure Strega would be the other one where it's like Oh for sure. Yeah, super, super like in that they, yeah. they occupy the, the same territory, which this is kind of leaning mm-hmm. on like the earth spices, uh the cinnamons, um, yeah, baking spices. Yeah. It's a it's a very different way to make a bit of liqueur um and something that I, I've not come across. To be honest with you, yeah. like it, that was that was kind of an eye opener when I tasted it the yeah, first that time. Cola, that cola, quality. right? This yeah. one—that's
1: what we talked about. How uniquely, um, I don't historically think of these lighter colored liqueurs or amari as having those cola notes, and this one has that. It even has—we all picked out a bit of like gingerbread, not necessarily the sort of spicy part of ginger, mm-hmm. but the sort of like baking spicy exactly. part of ginger, the bready part. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I really, really enjoyed this one. Both on its own and in the naked and famous variation that we made, um, and I think this one in particular has a lot of legs for me. Yeah,
3: I was actually really intrigued. You were talking about possibly making like a long, a long drink with it. Mm-hmm. I would, I would love to see. On, like, we just have a tiny bottle here. I think it's the only bottle that we've been. <laughs> <introduced> <laughs>
4: ML. It's like 200 ml. All the rest of the bottles are in a container going across the ocean. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> I
3: would, I would love to see what that would do with soda water just because I feel like half mute. I mean, that was like the trick back in the day. It was like, like ketchup kind of screwed this drink up. If I just throw soda water on it. Like how's it work <laughs> out? Like Right. Yeah. Um, so Just I would give love, it a little length, you know. Give yeah, it some effervescence. Exactly. So I would love to see w- when you add water or soda water to it, how it expresses itself. Because I've not, again, I've not not, I'm not seen this yet. bottle even until today.
1: Right. Well, even when you shook up um, the naked and famous for us, I mentioned afterwards that it would be probably pretty tasty Mm -hmm. if we did a a regal shake right which is where you put the twist of a a, of a a citrus into your shaker but instead of a twist just a little knob of ginger Mm -hmm. right that would brighten up that ginger aspect that it kind of already has um, and bring another layer of flavor to the cocktail but again that's us I think the bartender's nature is to like Mm -hmm take something and make it my own in some way right so i'm taking joaquin's drink and using a different liqueur and then shaking in a piece of ginger now i can call it the famous famously naked or something you know (laughs) um so uh but but like i find this one of the ones we tasted today was the most sort of intriguing to me right
3: yeah it's mysterious in in like the greatest of ways possible like i would i would never think that something from belgium would be featuring ginger like that's to me, like when I associate ginger, that's very much in like Chinese food, uh, South Asian stuff. Yeah. Um, the fact that Belgian, the Belgians are using this flavor component in yeah. it, bitter is is absolutely fascinating. But I
1: mean, this is just us guessing, right? They're not telling us it, what's it, yeah, in there. yeah, yeah. So I this could it. simply it, be an amalgam of the different flavors that are in there that are coming off brain, as ginger. Yeah,
3: the brain understands it as ginger, but there's no ginger actually in. Right. The, yeah. Um, Who knows? Yeah it's it's this is the coolest I, I agree with you especially like after i sell these things for a living it's very it's very rare when i taste something and i go there's endless applications yeah, for
1: this this is definitely a unique one yeah um all right well let's move down the line here to the um izara mm-hmm.
4: um and this one uh t- tell me all about it carl izara it comes from the basque region of france and it's a historical liqueur, going back to the 1800s. That was first commercially bottled in like 1905. Um, it went on to become a million bottle a year bestseller for quite a while, and then has you know since gone into obscurity a little bit. And we're now importing it. It's produced in France still, and um, we have a little more information about this technically. We know they use around 17 plus herbs. There's multiple macerations. There's the herbal maceration. There's a secondary maceration with a different component with um, green walnuts and then walnut husks. Mm -hmm. And then a third maceration, which is about prunes, the herbal maceration is distilled. And then all three macerations are blended. Uh, For the yellow, they're blended with um, honey to finish it up. I mean, this one was
1: equally fascinating to me because, again, it's bright. You know, everybody knows I'm colorblind, but it's brightly colored yellow. Um, But it had this like forest floor, brown dried leaves quality to it that's coming from that walnut situation. Um, And then, yeah, a latent fruitiness from prunes, which is shocking. Again, you don't I don't think prune and yellow. You know, I'm saying yeah. prunes are going to be in my Unicum plum, right? right? Right. Um, I don't, it's dark and rich and, but so this has like some real interesting, fun, unique qualities that brought again, another angle to the the cocktail that we made.
4: Right. Yeah. And I think it's, um, the interesting aspect I found is how it, it's not terribly sweet. So, it, you know, in the cocktail, the, the flavor profile was compelling and it left a lot of room for different avenues of sweet, sweetening, perhaps.
3: Yeah, I think I think this one was the initial one that uh, Carl and I tasted along with Henry. It was like, wait, there's there's different. Th- you, you're putting prunes. Yeah, like what, like walnuts? Yeah. Like I, that's. I think this was an eye opener for me in this category, where it's like the Bosque like region. prunes
1: and walnuts and honey. Uh, give me a, like a cheese plate. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
3: And it and it came off tasting. You know, it there's a bitterness to it, it just in the same way as you know Chartreuse. But like I, that was one where it's like complete, like all right, reshift the way that like I think the world works. I think this was the one that kind of I'm, I'm glad I tasted this, and then the Don Verez behind it, where it's like all right, like endless possibilities mm-hmm. in this category.
4: It's also a great example of the um, the cultural anthropology because Azara has. Um some really fun stories about it you know it's featured in the sun also Rises in a scene where you know the the lead character is is drinking at a, a cafe in the in the basque region and he's offered a glass and mm-hmm. so it has like you know and it also was featured in a celebritant cocktail competition in Paris by this actress who created the cocktail and she was a bit of a you know star who created all kinds of, uh, you know, she was, I guess, like a sex symbol of sure. her day. And mm-hmm. she made this cocktail that became famous using Azara. So there's a kind of, uh, you know, there's a cool cultural angle mm-hmm. to the artifact of this bottle. Celebrity know, endorsed without the tequila part. Beyond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, the, I guess the Frankie Marshall did a nice article about the cocktail because it was, it featured Armagnac, you know, mm-hmm. and she does the work with the Armagnac. Of and course, yeah. So she did a whole article about it. And um, yeah, so I think to me that is always interesting when you can, you know, because the only thing, you know, the three big components of a great bar is like, you know, the, the environment, you know, the hospitality, the drinks, and then the storytelling. So like if you can have all three wrapped up in one bottle, then that's like.
1: Yeah. Always a plus. Yeah. Well, I always tell my teams at all my bars, um, I don't expect you to know everything about every bottle. What I expect, though, is that you know three things about every bottle. If you know one thing about every bottle on your back bar, and especially a back bar like a Mori Margo, yeah. you know more than most people. Oh, yeah. yeah. If I mean, you know two things, yeah. you know more than almost everyone. Right. And if you know three things, you are expert level. Yes. Right? So... Yeah, that if there's stories to be told, I like to have my team have access to those. Yeah. Right? I need you to know, you know, some flavor notes. I need you to know where it's from. I need you to know a story like that. that yeah, a fun story like yourself.
4: that really brings yeah. another level of experience to the drink. Yeah, the el- the elevator
3: pitch I think is the yeah. most important part of bartending, right? Like if you if you're bouncing between even your your bar is famously small. Yeah. But <laughs> it's pretty small. But but it's growing. You need yeah, yeah. You need you need to be able to format your time and your style of bartending t- to a bar like that where everybody's looking for that experience, right? Mm-hmm. So like that that elevator pitch, the storytelling, the quick story, who endorsed it, why it's famous, what's it go with, and why I love this. Mm-hmm. I think that endears people that, that that's always gonna bring people back to your bar. I think it's the most important part is you have a product to sell, which is essentially yourself and your relationship to the product that you're pouring. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to make sure that the guest feels
1: a sense of not that they were educated by being here, mm -hmm. but that they were edified in some way. Right. I don't want you to walk out of here being like, I just learned algebra. (laughs) I want you to walk out of here going like, I picked up some stuff. Yeah. You know, I feel better about my choices now. I feel like I have something to say to my guests at my cocktail party yeah. uh, or at, at some other cocktail party, I will feel smarter and more, um, you know, engaging. and. and
3: yeah. Know. I think, I think, I think that's the most important part,
4: yeah. right? New, like new horizons, new
3: horizons all yeah. the time in this industry yeah. and and showing people that effectively is what makes, I think that's like the big part about New York growing up on the West, the West coast, you hear all the time about like the service industry and the hospitality of New York city. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's ingrained now in the culture as a whole. I don't think anybody's just pouring drinks unless you're at like a club or something, but mm-hmm. you, you don't go to a cocktail bar without kind of gleaning some, some sort of weird fact about something that you're drinking. Absolutely, if
1: you want to. If, yeah. yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's the flip of that is, yeah. you know, I make sure that myself and my teams read our guests in such a way to understand what they're here for. Mm-hmm. If they're here for me to tell them, about every component of their drink, Mm -hmm. I'm here to do that. Right. If they are here to have me sit the drink down and walk away, I'm a ghost.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I guess I'd made the same thing in Cleveland when I became a shot girl for tequila that we (laughs) Why
4: don't you grab that one since I nearly knocked the whole thing over. Uh, Probably Zara Green now, right? Yeah, there we go. That's what we should
1: talk about. So then we're moving into some green stuff Um, because, you know, as it turns out, chartreuse yellow and chartreuse green are both going to be, you know, absentee mm-hmm. so you brought a whole host of both yellows and greens and again i'm colorblind, so i don't really care but um <laughs> i get it I, you know how i generally refer to chartreuse to the lay person is uh you know yellow is all about the flowers and green is all about the grass exactly right yeah. so let's talk about the Izara. same same mark that we just talked about but this is their green version it's slightly higher right 38 versus 40 is that correct mm. no, they're, no they're both 40 they're Sorry. both 40 they're both yeah. 40.
4: And they're made the same way for the first up until the point where they blend it. And then instead of putting in honey for the green, they put in um, sugar and some Armagnac. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Right, that was the fascinating part about this one. It's, it's the, the spirit is, is blended with Armagnac. Yeah, and also then they do a second maceration for the color. Mm-hmm. So the color is derived from you know a second maceration after distillation, whereas for the yellow, it doesn't have that. It gets the honey and there you go. And all the macerations give the color. So it's, you know, same idea. Initial maceration, distillation. A second, you know, two two other macerations. One of the green walnut, one with the prunes. All blended together, sweetened with sugar, and then armagnac to finish. And that other herbal maceration to give the color. Right. Um,
1: And since it's the first one that switches gears, we also then switched cocktails. We moved Away from the Naked and Famous and into, of course, the last word. Mm, So this is not the last word. We're going to say that a bunch of times. But first, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors uh, on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, Again, you're listening to the Speakeasy live from the future at Tales of the Cocktail 2023. Stand by.
2: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country.
1: And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm in the mobile studio in New Orleans at Tales of the Cocktail 2023 uh, with Carl DeHoffman and Reagan Dowdy from uh, Price Imports. Price Price Imports. It's spelled press. Yeah.
4: The the, the way you should think about it is that everything we sell is not sold on price. Mm. All right. right. It's from price.
1: All right. All right. It's from price. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, listen, uh, you were mixing up the drinks today. Uh, you made us all them versions of mm-hmm. the Naked and Famous, and now we shifted gears, and now we're making versions of Last Word. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how the Izara did in the first of the last words that you made us.
3: The first of the last. I think, I think the botanicals lived through. Um, the, the only caveat is adding sugar is probably. That's, that's probably the only drawback. I would say I would say it serves as a, like it's serviceable for the flavor profile, like the the profile of Chartreuse when it comes to the botanicals and the flavor. I think it stood out that way through the cocktail. Um, you just, adding sugar, adding maybe a like quarter ounce of simple. I think is really all you. Yeah, need just to something that. to
1: kind of round it out yeah. and, and give it a little
3: softer yeah. mouthfeel. The, the balance is not very far away. No, I, I just I I I was kind of. Surprised with that because there is a big part of a big part of the the green Azara was the spearmint, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that gummy kind of quality that spearmint that everybody kind of equates to that. That spearmint
1: sounds like our neighbor has whipped out his leaf blower. and not yeah. during the
3: yellow chartreuse when it was appropriate.
1: Yeah. Holy smoke! He's right on top of us.
3: this guy guy loves his job
4: yeah is is, is it it his job or is he like just a hank hill yeah (laughs) yeah and it's also you know the the proof is lower than the 110 of chartreuse it's 80 proof but still i don't think i don't think you need to use like an
3: like a a navy a navy strength gin or anything to make up for that that was like the kind of the cool part about that S- Flavor there; it just needs the sweetness, yeah, just and it balances to be rounded out. out a bit. So I think a lot of a lot of the great part about chartreuse is it actually helps proof the cocktail. Tank Hill, he's yeah. getting extra deep.
1: Yeah, he's getting right up next to us. Let's uh, pause for one second. Can you see him? Like is he about to come up between us here, the, t- the little alleyway between the houses? Do you Was- mind? Do you mind if I use the restroom? Oh yeah, quick? of course. Yeah, let's. Let's give him a second to maybe at least
3: move a little further away. He's Why like, it? I see that one leaf and I Why gotta a get it out. Jerk.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he knows what's going on. <laughs> Is he right in front of us? All right. We're just like 10 minutes away.
4: Yeah, I so yeah, that guy is the sweetest guy ever. He was just there doing all his landscaping. And I was like, you don't have to do it today. He's like, I don't. I'm like, no, just don't worry about today. He's like, oh, thank you. I'm going to go home. Oh, nice. <laughs> fuck yeah. So like, fuck yeah. Gave a day off and saved our podcast. But he was indeed about to go up that alleyway and take care of the backyard. Yeah, I just told him that he didn't have
0: to do it today. He was very grateful. Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, it was like for all of us? Is their a setting up? Yeah. Oh. That's fun. Hey, yay,
1: hey, yay. Hey. Carl told him to fuck off.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Please fucking go away. (laughs) Uh, There's nothing better when you do your job so well, people tell you to go home. Yeah, right? Yeah. Do you listen to any new punk? Or is it it like...
1: I'm kind of stuck in my old ways, you know? I listen to like... MC5 and fucking Slapshot and Agent Orange and Bad Brains and Bad solid. Brains yeah. and fucking you know tons of Minor Threat and ah oh, dude Minor, minor Threat is sweet too Fugazi yeah and, you know, yeah Descendants you know, Descendants for yeah. sure yeah. um kind of getting off topic a little bit but I, I listened to some old replacements yeah um, like I listened to I saw the replacements three nights in a row in Chicago and all three mm-hmm. nights in the fucking crowd was George Went. No way. You know, you know what that is? It's fucking Norm from Cheers. Yeah, all three nights. I was like, what's up, Norm?
3: <laughs> I mean, made, they, Norm becomes so much more of an icon. The fact that on his off time, not only is he the drunk at the bar, he's showed up the punk shows for his favorite bands every night.
1: Three nights. It was a three-night show. Dude's I was there for all in, three nights, and he was too.
3: Putting in a shift, an absolute shift. yeah. At the at the venue.
1: Yeah, the Aragon ballroom, aka the Aragon Brawl Room.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Infamous. Infamous.
4: Aragon is crazy.
3: All right, let's get back to it, team.
4: Yeah.
1: We got uh ten ish minutes left on the clock for the for the podcast itself. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna mention something so it doesn't sound so weird. Mm-hmm. And we're back again. We took a quick break to let uh, our guy with the... What, what was that? Uh, leaf blower. It was a leaf blower, yeah. The uh, the motorized one, not even the electric one. He was, in fact, Hank Hill. He was, in fact, Hank <laughs> Hill. Uh, we, we took a moment to offer him the day off today, and he was grateful for it. So, he was. So uh, we got our, our, our studio sound back to at least somewhat normal. Um, so we were talking about mixing up last words, and we just finished talking about the Izara. Mm-hmm. And now, do they have a different name? They both just say Izara.
4: They say vert and, and, and yellow, Marque I think. Marquet, Basque, yeah. Well, know, they they look- both
1: say that, too. Yeah. Anyway, so a green and a yellow. So we made uh, the Naked and Famous with the yellow,
4: and we made the last word with the green, mm. and then we moved on to Torello. Enrico Toro, yeah. which is uh, an Abruzzi uh, producer of herbal macerations and uh, of, of, I think, just extraordinarily quality. They're just yeah. gorgeous.
3: The, yeah, yeah, the idea that they go out in these rocky hillsides and, and f- basically just pull anise fennel, again, gentian, is, is the big one. Right. Uh, this was the first one where I was like, oh yeah, I'm getting the bitterness. Yeah. 72 right. different herbs going yeah. to the maceration. Yeah. Uh, and they did the most Italian thing possible. It's, yeah, I know what you got. I'm gonna throw oregano on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: two of the most Italian things. They, they, it's plenty of oregano in here, mm. and then also the bottle is wrapped in wicker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're with gonna the,
3: we're gonna market this the way that we know how to. With red, green, and white. Exactly. Uh, yeah.
1: Full on. I mean, this could easily be. A, you know, if, if, it, if it wasn't clear glass, this could easily be full of tomato sauce yeah. or, <laughs> or a soccer jersey, right? <laughs> like it looks like a tomato sauce can. I,
3: yeah, I feel like this is what like Del Piero like drank after he scores a goal. He just goes to the sideline, takes a shot at Torella and goes, I'm going to go play the next 45 minutes. There you go. Right. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's an exceptional, an exceptional Alpine liqueur.
4: And I we're think. tasting two from Enrico Toro, right? Cause the next right. is the Centurba. Yeah. And so if you consider them next to each other, it's probably um, educational. The Torella is lower proof. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? 38%? 38, And it's sweetened with honey mm-hmm. and the Centurba is 70 percent 70 percent yes and it has <laughs>
1: 140 proof straight fire water and in order <laughs> in
4: order to make sure that you are aware of that proof they do not add any sugar at all yeah right just herbs it yeah. is bone
1: dry and fiery hot yeah. and ferociously herbaceous yeah um but, I, but but let's back up to the torello first mm-hmm. so it's enrique toro and the mark is called torello 72 yeah. right yeah um This one, for me, was the first one where bitterness started to shine through, Mm -hmm. um, which, of course, I'm always looking for. My palate is always searching for bitter. Um, And then, um, uh, again, uh, really stacked high with oregano uh, as sort of definitely the aroma Mm -hmm. and the opening flavor notes. But then because the oregano, you know, is like a woody herb, a lot of woodiness, too. So it had this like, even though there is some sweetener in this one you mentioned, it's very kind of like. Almost tannic from yeah. the woodsy part of the oregano. A lot,
3: a lot like their, a lot like their hillsides. It's like rustic. Yeah. T- it tastes rustic, and I think wholly authentic to like the Italian flavor profile. Everything that you have in Italy, there is some sort of balance there. It's robust, it's bitter, it's sweet. It's yeah, Torella fits all or checks all the boxes of the complexity of the Italian kind of culinary side. I think
1: yeah and speaking of culinary i think carl said off air this would be like a great you know pouring an ounce into a, a pan of you know uh, shallots and mussels and yes. chili flakes and finishing it with with a bit of this would be really really delightful um, oh god. god yeah for sure yeah one of my favorite things mm-hmm. so in this one for me you made the last word for, for us with this one and it Again, it had that bitterness I was looking for, but maybe not the same herbaceous qualities, but still quite herbaceous. And mm-hmm. like I think the, what we learned the most is that none of these didn't work. Um, I think that we also learned that they could all use a little work, right? There's some lever pulling to be done, but we just went with straight ratio of the classic cocktails, the modern one and the, and the classic right. that we know so that we'd have a control for our session today. Right. Um, and I think that that was exemplified well, we got one more to talk about, but then we we have a lever pull that we did that kind of went a little, yeah. bit, off, a little bit off the track. Yeah,
3: we we got fun with it. Yeah.
1: So the last one, also made by Enrique Toro, uh, is a uh, Cinturba, which means uh, what 100 100 herbs. Mm. That's what it
3: means. So, yeah. But it Could still be. says
1: 72. Yeah, it's it's
3: it's 72 herbs, um, different proofs, uh, no sugar added. So this is like the stuff that you would think that like Italian farmers would drink on the hillside. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it is. Um, medicine. My, it is straight, straight up medicine. Oh. One of the medicinal things that you've tasted, but no. something that is like, it warms your heart. It warms your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want more.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was very <laughs> chest warming. Yeah. It was very like bursts of, you know, uh, um, a myriad of herbs led of course by oregano. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the kind of thing that I think like how, In general, herbal liqueurs and Amari started. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much uh, um, out of necessity at first, right? So you're saying to yourself, yeah, I'm a farmer and I've got all these things and I'm harvesting them faster than I can consume them Mm. and they're going to go bad uh, because winter is coming, right? As the kids were so keen on saying a few years ago. (laughs) Um, And so we're going to lose that nutritive quality that we need, right? We need the nutrition, we need the calories from this thing that we've. You know, exercise some calories to produce. Mm-hmm. So, how do you save it? Well, you, you you put it in booze, yeah. And then we can have that that later in the winter time when we need those calories, we can still access them. Yeah. So, I think that that this is an example to me of how you know ingenuity and necessity drove the creation of these things. Absolutely. One of the
4: things that you said um, about this southern that struck me is that it had a um, a palate presence that was sort of. Um, like a Sichuan pepper that had that like Oh yeah, it
1: tingled on my lips, my yeah. tongue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You
4: could the herbal magic whatever it is, all those those compounds that sensory experience that had, comes along with it. Yeah, it had Yeah, that. it
1: wasn't just the the ABV. I've drank things that are this hot or hotter. hotter. Oh, no. Um and it, those I mean, will certainly make your tongue tingle too. I mean, it was but warming. this was a very specific feeling. Yeah, yeah. I
4: agree. It, it's warming, it but it didn't, it didn't it didn't assault you with alcohol in no. any way because the herbs like I think uh, take over
3: yeah and again these guys are pretty protective It's they, they call it a proprietary blend whatever that means um, I enjoy what they do I yeah. don't I, like it's almost like it's almost nice not knowing because I want to believe that they throw like white pepper in there Man,
1: they can, you, know, they, you know what I mean yeah, like it has it, a bit of peppery at it, the back
3: yeah so like I, I actually really enjoy the fact they are doing the same like it's the same it's the same idea with every bitter liqueur I don't want you to know what I do because I don't want you stealing it. Yeah, we talk about this ad nauseum at the shop. It drives yeah, me crazy. Yeah, I don't have the time to to replicate this, let alone come up with a green liqueur that
1: I'm not. I'm not going out forging can... for 72 herbs. Dude, I'm not going into the
3: hillsides for this. I'm
1: not even going to sit around on the internet and try and find those 72 herbs. I know. I'll just buy the bottle. You yeah, already made it. I'm buying it. I live in
3: Ohio. I make dandelion tea. That's that's <laughs> that's that's the effort that I'm putting in, um, but. The, the idea that there might be that peppercorn that tingles your gums and makes it a full sensory thing, I think that is what sets chinterba apart yeah, from most sure. other bitter liqueurs i I really believe that and then you did the uh well we,
1: we made the last word with this, yeah, and it was I think we all agreed a bit hot mm-hmm. and a bit tart, yeah, uh, definitely not so enough dry. sweetness in there, yeah, so the so the lime stood forward quite a bit. But with plenty, plenty of herbs, and again some lever pulling there. Add a bit of sugar, uh, bring you know bring the ratios into a, a little bit more focus by lowering uh, the quotient of this product against everything else. Maybe bring the gin up. Um, you know there are plenty of ways to to pull some levers and make this drink a little bit more closer to the target we're shooting at. Mm-hmm. And one of them was, frankly, to mix the two from Enrique Toro, right? Which is what you did for the last one. Yeah. The, la- to- the
3: last last word that we oh, had. Yeah. Uh, it's it's two parts Torella, one part chinterba, and I think you get pretty much exactly what chartreuse is, that bitter quality, the woodiness. Uh you still get the anise, the fennel. Um, but what it you you tasted the last word with that I would I would say that's pretty close. close. It's pretty close. Yeah, very yeah. much so. The oregano you know, with that somehow, oregano pop, yeah. It, yeah,
4: like popped somehow less when the two are combined for some reason.
3: Yeah. But, yeah. they, but it was still there. They they balance out. And I don't know if that's on purpose because I did this at BCB. Like literally, like I was talking to Eric Castro mm-hmm. about this and just dumped, I think I dumped like a half ounce of the Torella. And he's like, yeah, well, it's chartreuse. I was like, it needs proofing. And just dumped a just a little, like a skosh mm-hmm. in there. And I was like, he's like, this just tastes like chartreuse. And I was close. like, I was like, oh, like by accident, like just like every other bar story sure. that's like legendary. By accident, well, you kind I of mean, discover this. We
1: can probably at least lay some of the blame on Eric for the depletion of Chartreuse <laughs> with the damn Pina Verde. Pina Verde yeah, uh, you know, and then Marco with the freaking
3: Chartreuse Swizzle out there, like it's my using it by the multi ounces. It is my favorite drink. Chartreuse Swizzle, I think, <laughs> is like one of the most perfect drinks that mm-hmm. I've ever tasted in my entire life. I used to make it with um, ube like an like an ube kind of like coconut thing and yeah. it was like i'm ne- dude yeah it's so good
1: i have a drink on the menu at ateria one of my spots uh, where i'm literally just pointing at eric and making fun of him and it's <laughs> it's called the yellow pineapple right cuz piña verde just means green pineapple yeah so i made a drink with yellow and mezcal and tequila and it's basically the same build and i just called it the yellow pineapple <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there you go eric yeah. we'll deplete them both and we did yeah. uh, and you know that's that's you know, in its way, of course, it's a bummer, yeah. but um, what that does is that releases us from the sort of chains that bind us to any single product and gives us the opportunity to look around the back bar mm. uh, and around the world to fill that back bar mm. with unique and new products like these that you guys are bringing, bringing to us, and uh, I think it's great. I
3: I, I thoroughly you. appreciate the the platform you gave us to talk about this because this is, it I think a, it's... a
4: very fun conversation.
3: Yeah, yeah. and I, I think this is only going to grow. Like, we were talking about off-air, Um it's going to be more like wine you're, you're you're going to have these bitters from around the world mm-hmm. you know not not just not just europe but there's there's going to be these you know Asian Mexican, South American of course. stuff, so you're going to get terroir and bitterness that has like a cultural rel- relevancy, just like wine does, yeah, yeah, and I'm very excited to see where that goes,
1: yeah, so am I. Yeah. Well, guys, um, if anybody wanted, wanted to get a hold of you and uh, get some tastes on their bar or uh, what have you, how can, how can we reach out to you the most easily? Got an Instagram account you want to pimp? or? Oh, yeah. Can give mean, everybody your direct phone number, Carl? Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can it's email me at
4: carl at which is P-R-E-I-S-S, mm-hmm. imports.com, yeah. and Carl with a K. Yeah. That's uh, probably the easiest way. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the Northeast,
3: My Instagram is rumrunnerreagan, a little bit of alliteration. (laughs) Um, Also, Reagan at priceimports.com. I'm based in the Midwest, um, also strangely Oklahoma. Um, But it's, you DM me. Yeah. Just DM me. Right
1: on. Yeah. I think that's the way people get in touch with everybody these days. (laughs) Half half the business I get now is DMing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, At least it starts the conversation. It's a firewall, I think. Yeah. If, you're, if, you, if you can't DM me first, then, I'm, then you don't deserve my exactly. email right, or my phone number. Exactly. Um, well, all right. Um, we got to taste through some really cool stuff. We got to drink a bunch of uh, uh, Naked and Famous and a bunch of last words. Mm-hmm. And we came to the conclusion of the last word uh, is that it's, uh, it's malleable. It's changeable. And uh, we're going to have to adapt because we can't get a hold of the product that uh, that originally calls for. And that's not a problem. It won't be so a problem in the future. It's,
4: uh, it's potentially an opportunity. Yeah.
1: I think I think it really is. All right. Well, that's it for this uh, episode of the Speakeasy coming to you live from the future in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana at Tales of the Cocktail 2023, hanging out at the Price Imports House down here on Elysian. Um, we've had a great morning tasting through all of these marks, uh, and I encourage you to go out and take a look and uh, see if any of them fit in your program at your bar. Um, So cheers, everybody. Have a great evening. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Cheers to you. Cheers, guys. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.